you might be thinking, it's not 1984. It's not January 22nd either, but I'll get to that in just a second. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for once again gathering us together that we might look into your thoughts on life, your thoughts on our salvation and, and who we are in you because of you, knit together by you. Lord, we pray that you would cause us as a church to be effective in this world, to represent you and your thoughts readily and well. Give us strength, we pray, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I uh, read an article last week, and it it said that America is the go-to nation for made-to-order babies. Have you ever heard of a made-to-order baby? The Washington Post reported that, that very soon, biotech companies will be offering parents the ability to screen batches, batches, don't mistake that word, batches of embryos for genetic disorders, physical imperfections, perhaps even low IQ. And you can pick just the one you want. Just the one you want, which which begs the question, what happens to all the others? We're living in a day and age when a baby is dispensable even as it is being born. As we know from what has happened in New York, it it being lit up in celebration, people cheering at the idea of full-term abortion. And other states very quickly trying to fall in line to follow suit with that idea. We are a self-centered, as one author called us a a culture of death. And that that lies in complete opposition to God, doesn't it, in his word? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Tuesday, January 22nd, was National Sanctity of Human Life Day. And and so we celebrate it tonight. Please, I, I apologize for my absence last week, but again, thank you all for your support in all of that. Um... So what is this National Sanctity of Human Life Day? What what brought it about? Why is it necessary to have a day dedicated to what should really be the obvious, right? That's because the obvious becomes obscured through a clouded lens of sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, explains our human condition. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Humanity has turned 
to serve itself, to, to serve the creature and its desires above those of our creator, God. And this day, this National Sanctity of Human Life Day, is President Ronald Reagan's indignant response to the 1973 decision of Roe versus Wade, which allowed abortion. Eleven years later, in 1984, hence the date on the PowerPoint there, Reagan said, I call upon the citizens of this blessed land to gather on that day in homes and in places of worship to give thanks for the gift of life and to reaffirm our commitment to the dignity of every human being and the sanctity of each human life. We have been given the precious gift of human life, made more precious still by our births and our pilgrimages to a land of freedom. It is fitting then on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade that struck down state anti-abortion laws that we reflect anew on these blessings and on our corresponding responsibility to guard with care the lives and freedoms of even the weakest of our fellow human beings. Determined to have sex without responsibility, submitting to what Scripture calls our sensual desires without recognizing the moral and functional boundaries that God has established in creation or, or the natural consequences that God laid forth uh, of living in these ways, Roe versus Wade allowed people to freely do away with the inconvenience of an unwanted child to murder innocents who have no voice of their own, no ability to express themselves. But the world would argue, if they have no voice, how do we know then that they are people? They can't communicate. I actually recently watched a video of a young man in college. He was a grad student. And he tried to debate that very idea. And, and the, if a child couldn't form words and, and couldn't communicate with language, then they were not people. And, and the person doing the interview with this guy, he says, well, a child up to about two years old can't really communicate in sentences. And the guy looked at him and very, very seriously was like, yeah, how do I know that child is a person? When do we become human? And what then is our responsibility? Well, from the annals of science, we learn that there is a flow of development from the moment of conception that has been distinguished and, and categorized and labeled in stages, scientifically. I mean, upon conception, one goes from being a zygote to a blastocyte, an embryo to a fetus eventually being born into the world. And as hard as people try to attempt to select or distinguish any single stage as, as the moment of humanity, that time at which one becomes human, is, is scientifically speaking an arbitrary choice. It is not a decision that one can make via science. We cannot see or test for that moment of ensoulment as Dr. Scott Gilbert, professor of biology at Swarthmore College, 
has said, if one does not believe in a soul, then one need not believe in a moment of ensoulment. The moments of fertilization, gastrulation, neurulation, and birth are then milestones in the gradual acquisition of what it is to be human. While one may have a particular belief in when the embryo becomes human, it is difficult to justify such a belief solely by science. That's from his paper, When Does Human Life Begin? If we cannot scientifically observe and define a moment of humanity, what then does God have to say about these things? How does Scripture speak into the sanctity of human life? And my aim is not to put Scripture second to science, but, but to see first that we have reached a limit. We can't scientifically look into this idea and figure out that moment at which one becomes human. We have found something that we cannot define by a scientific method. Humans are not omniscient, and therefore we really need to look to one who is. Are the unborn human? Does God answer the question that science can't? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. According to this passage, God attributes personhood humanity to Jeremiah before he is even born. God didn't say, I created your body or I formed a mass and I I made it into you. But he keeps using personal pronouns. He says to Jeremiah, I knew you. Not I knew your form. I knew you, Jeremiah. Even before Jeremiah's body is formed. A related passage, Psalm 139. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. As we can see in that passage, God took personal care in the formation and development of an embryonic King David. One phrase in that passage in Psalm 139 that has always intrigued me, it's always grabbed my attention, is that phrase that he was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God took such care in putting David together that he even planned out which minerals and matter, which bits, which, which bits of, of dust and dirt, how much hummus and pomegranates and unleavened bread would go into the formation of this child. 
go into making David. He knew the very stuff of the earth that he would use to make David, and he planned it out. That's how much care God took in forming each and every one of us. David recalls in Psalm 51.5 that even at conception, and we're, we're trying to look at whether or not we are human, right? Before we are born. Even at conception, David says he had a sin nature. He says in 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about his mother's sin. He's talking about the fact that from the moment he was conceived, he had sin in him. How can an inhuman, non-personal ball of cells have a sinful human nature? unless it is human. One way to test for humanity, one of the ways we describe whether or not someone is a person, is to see personal attributes. Does that person display human characteristics? What did John the Baptist do the first time he, saw, he met Jesus? The first time he met Jesus. I'm not talking about the time that he baptized him. Let's go way back. Let's go, let's go back before John saw Jesus for the first time at the River Jordan. Let's go way back. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1. Yeah. Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Didn't just leap, didn't just wiggle around a bit, leaped for joy. Filled with the Spirit of God, according to that passage, Elizabeth bore witness that John displayed joy even before he was born. According to Scripture, humanity begins at conception. And we are significant people in the eyes of God, even in the womb. God's act of planning in that person begins even before that. Each and every person is so special, so important to the Lord that, that as, as he personally knits them together and forms them in their mother's wombs, he knits them into his own image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Over and again, in just two verses, it says, we are created very specially in the image of God. Of God, unlike any other created thing. 
And let's note that when James recounts that same idea, that same statement, even after the fall, he doesn't give it a caveat or qualification. He doesn't say that it's, it's this, the perfect ones or, or the good ones or the better ones than others that are made in the image of God, but we should show respect to all people because all of them have been made in the image of God. I didn't put this one in the PowerPoint, but James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. People are to be respected as image bearers of God, whether they are born with all their limbs or fingers or none of them. If they're born with Down syndrome or deafness or blindness or MS or autism or whatever else afflicts us in this fallen world, we are all created in the likeness of our Creator. Every last one of us. Our humanity and God's image not being simply found in the shape of our physical bodies. Unborn children, physically deformed or physically symmetrical, are all fully human in the eyes of God. God sees such value in these human lives that he personally knits together, he personally forms, that that he declared to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 that from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. It's reiterated to us in in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 to 22. It says, whoever takes a life, a human life, shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he is done, it shall be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury is given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. That is just how deeply God feels about the value of a human life. In other words, murder is not okay. Taking another human life is punishable by death according to God. That's how seriously he takes it. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Four simple words, right? Can't get any easier than this. You shall not murder. Ta-da! Can't get any clearer than that. God says it again in the words of Christ, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. And again, in the list of things that God gave man over to that we find in Romans chapter 1. He gave us over to things like murder because we turned away from God and turned to ourselves. So we see in Scripture that that unborn children are fully human from conception. Even before that, God recognizes their personhood. We see from Scripture that it is wrong to willfully take the life of another human of our own accord. You shall not murder. 
And, and God does something great in, in the Old Testament law to Israel. He gives us a very specific picture of this very idea in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 21. He's giving the laws to Israel, and he says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out. And the Hebrew there, it implies, are born mature, prematurely. Born before they're supposed to be. So when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out and are born prematurely, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be surely fined as the woman's husband shall impose upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If the child is hurt, if the child is killed, life for life. That's the value of an unborn child to God, just as human as any other person who walks the earth. In, in this command, God accounts the life of an unborn child to have the value of any human being, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. Getting back to our example of science, what we do know from empirical science is that immediately upon conception, immediately upon conception is formed a unique strand of DNA. And it is not the father's DNA and it is not the mother's DNA. It is a unique human being in that mother's womb. In that zygote is a map, a blueprint of humanity that will be developed from conception to the end of life as that body forms and changes through the years. Anybody notice that you're not quite the way you were 10 years ago? 20 years ago? We just keep developing, don't we? Sometimes not for the better. <laughs> Upon conception begins the development of a person, a baby who would become a toddler, who would become a teenager, who would become an adult, who would become a senior citizen. And we are not people only at certain points, though some may make an argument about teenagers. <laughs> we are, from conception, on a continuum of human Develop, physical development. And as Dr. Tommy Mitchell from Answers in Genesis has said, while science cannot discover a moment of humanity, science has, however, revealed the intricate developmental continuum from fertilization through maturation to the birth of the child. Each stage flows seamlessly into the next with a myriad of detailed embryological changes followed by organ growth and finely tuned development choreographed with precision. The more we learn about the process, the more amazingly complex we find it to be. We are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. Life it's a gift from God, and we have the responsibility to value it the same way that God values it. We were created by God to nurture and to protect, to be prosperous and to fill the world, to recognize the sanctity of life. This National Sanctity of Human Life Day is not a recurring holiday, by the way. 
It's not something that just happens year after year and it gets printed on the calendar. In fact, I, I, somebody was telling me earlier today that it wasn't printed on their calendar, they noticed. And it's because it must be declared annually by the standing president. We don't just get National of Sanctity, National Sanctity of Human Life Day. It was begun by Reagan and continued under both Bush presidents and has been declared again by our current president, but was not carried out by the others. Suffice it to say, we, we cannot count on our government to uphold the sanctity of life. As God's representatives on earth, we must willingly and forthrightly speak the truth in love. In God's eyes, in his created order, abortion is wrong. It is the murder of human life under any circumstances. This can be a difficult subject. This can be a very hard subject to listen to, especially if you have been affected by abortion. But as the body of Christ, we are responsible to speak into every subject that God's word speaks into. If you or a loved one have been affected by abortion, please know that this, as with any transgression against God's word, this too can be forgiven and washed away by the grace of God and the shed blood of Jesus. Anything you've gone through has not shocked or surprised him. He knew every day that was, in the, that was written for your life. There is mercy at the cross. Take it to the cross and let him nail it there and leave it behind. Human life is sacred. How are we going to use ours for the glory of our Savior? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us cause to, to think on these things, to see how you speak into the sanctity of human life. And Lord, help us to value every human life, those who are in the womb and those around us, those who speak well of us and those who speak ill. Help us to value them as those made in your image. Help us to put the love of Christ on display ourselves. And Lord, I pray that that would be catchy. People seeing it in us would decide there's something different about us and it's a good thing because we love you, because we have been loved by you. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, and your mercy at the cross. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.